Hi, this is Nathan Toops, and you're listening to episode 13 of Embracing Disruption. Hey, podcast listeners. This is a big episode. This is the last episode in our South by Southwest series, and we're taking on a really important topic, which is internet activism. If there was one aspect of South by Southwest that inspired me more than any other aspect, it was the internet activists that I was able to talk to and participate with at South by Southwest. And there's a broad range. I mean, there are organizations like the Electronic Frontier Foundation, Fight for the Future, the ACLU, and South by Southwest, you could just feel it in the air. I mean, Edward Snowden teleconferenced in and so did Glenn Greenwald and Julian Assange and before the Edward Snowden talk Barton Gelman and Cory Doctorow had a fireside chat just talking about privacy and its implications I mean it was definitely the year of activism if I had to sum up South by Southwest I was actually fortunate enough to hang out with members of Fight for the Future the ACLU and the EFF they're amazing people really dedicated to trying to make this world, especially the world touched by the internet, a better place. And so this podcast actually revolves around sort of two main themes. Um, One was this really cool party hosted by Golden Frog called Take Back Your Internet Party, which put together an interesting panel. Um, There were members of the New America Foundation, uh, Fight for the Future, Public Policy Council for the Computer and Communication Industry Association. There was actually a Texas State House of Representatives member, the co-founder and CEO of Golden Frog, and uh, a panel moderator who's actually a tech writer. Um, It's really great because even though these people are from all over the spectrum, they actually came to almost unanimous agreement on what was needed for privacy reform um, and liberty-focused internet activism. The other is a specific um, South by Southwest panel called Telling the NSA to Back Off. This was a panel um, with a member from Fight for the Future and a member of the ACLU Northern California. I'm going to let them speak for themselves. And so we're actually going to get this started with an interview with Chris Connolly. My name is Chris Conley. I'm a policy attorney with ACLU Northern California. Um, I work mostly on the intersection of uh, privacy, free speech, and new technology. As you can tell, it's a little noisy in the background. That's one thing about South by Southwest, is it's noisy everywhere. There's just people all over the place all the time. Before we dive into his activism, I think it's really important that we bring up his background. Uh, So I was a computer scientist once upon a time. I have a, a master's degree in computer science, a bachelor's in electrical engineering. Um, I was an engineer for Intel for several years and decided I didn't really want to be an engineer anymore. I didn't know what to do. I traveled for about a year and then I decided I wanted to, well, I spent a couple more years working for a nonprofit theater actually, but decided I really wanted to be in the policy side of technology. I really like the way the technology impacts the world. I think it can do great things, but I also think it can do very dangerous things. And I really wanted to be on the side and working on the the bigger picture landscape, um, essentially the side on law school, but the the legal policy societal landscape that influences how technology develops and how it impacts people's lives. 
Um, so I went through law school. I spent a year uh, doing research at the Berkman Center on, uh, for Internet Society at Harvard University, uh, research on international internet surveillance and, and censorship. Um, and then I joined the ACLU as a, as a fellow and now a policy attorney about five and a half years ago. And this is the theme that you're going to see over and over again. Really smart people who really care about freedom and the internet and access for everyone. I mean, the real focus here is transparency and predictability and accountability. And as you'll see through the rest of these interviews, that's a theme that that doesn't go away. It's common to people from radically different viewpoints with radically different interests. But I got us off topic. Let's get back to the theme of his South by Southwest session. Uh, here at South by Southwest, yesterday I was speaking about uh, telling, the, telling the NSA to back off, uh, talking about ways that individuals, companies, lawmakers, and the collective public can push back against this overbroad surveillance by the NSA, but also by local law enforcement, by other countries around the world. You know, talking about te- techniques like encryption and technological solutions to secure your data or your user's data if you're a company, um, activism pushing for laws that make that rein in surveillance, that make things more transparent so we have a real dialogue about the benefits and the costs of interfering with and prying into people's private lives. Um, just talking about the ways in the past that we've seen SOPA and PIPA activism and other online mo- things happen and how we've seen the Snowden revelations really change the game and, and change the dialogue around surveillance from why do we care to what do we do about this. And I asked him, what did he notice that had actually changed in the community? I mean, obviously, this is a topic that's been very interesting to me for a very long time, but I've noticed that this is actually something that's come up in the general population. Um, And so I wanted to get his perspective. I think we've seen change there. I think we've gone from the general population being mostly disinterested. There's there's always been a small minority that that really cared passionately about their privacy and and a small minority who really didn't care whatsoever and a big swath in the middle that was somewhat apathetic. They're like, I know there's stuff going on. I don't really know what it is. Uh, I don't know what I can do about it, so I'm just not going to spend my time and energy on it. Um, And what I've seen over the last years, and certainly since Snowden documents came out, it's accelerated dramatically, is that more and more people care and more and more people are looking for something to do. Um, The challenge has gone somewhat from getting people to care to getting people to act because they know there's there's stuff going on. They're not many people are not happy with the NSA prying into their private information, collecting massive amounts of data about them and everyone else in the country. Um, but they don't know what to do about it. And so we're we've gone from public education about why does this matter, how why is privacy important, still has, still need to explain to people just because you're not on a surveillance watch list doesn't mean that government surveillance of everything going on in the country doesn't actually impact your life because you have fewer opportunities to communicate. More people are shy about expressing unpopular viewpoints or talking about controversial issues. It really changes the the democratic nature of our country. Um, But we're getting, that message is getting across because more and more people are saying it because it's just resonating in the public. Now it's more, how do we do things about this? What do you do individually? How can, what companies are really the good guys and how can we support them and how can we push other companies to be better? And how can we get you know, laws to be passed that actually protect our rights instead of bad versions of laws that don't do anything but codify all the bad practices that are going on right now. And this is where I heard the majority of the back and forth between all the organizations. Because what we should actually focus on for reform is a really difficult topic, especially if part of the argument is that the system itself is broken. You know, if Snowden reveals that the surveillance state is much more widespread and broad than we ever imagined. How do you work to disassemble something like that? Especially if 
elected officials are participating actively. But it goes beyond this. It goes beyond the existential threat of a surveillance state. And I think Chris does a great job of of looping this back around into topics that could actually be applicable in our daily lives. You know, one of the ACU's efforts is around drug law, drug policy reform. Um, but if I want to go and see what, what are the issues, what's the issue with marijuana legalization, do I want everyone in the world to know I'm looking at that? If not, then suddenly we're, the privacy is impacting some other set of, of legal questions, the real societal issues that we should be discussing. I don't, I'm not saying there's a right answer to them, but we should have a public dialogue about these things. And if people are afraid to talk about controversial topics at all because they think they will personally be associated, people will make implications, and their lives can be affected by it, then it really hurts our societies. Again, this is a theme that you're going to see through the rest of the interviews, is that this isn't just a Fourth Amendment right. This is actually a First Amendment rights issue. That when you feel like you're being surveilled, when you feel like you're being watched, or that even your questions that you put into Google could negatively affect you, it causes you to take a step back and maybe self-censor. And if we are self-censoring because we're worried about being surveilled, that's a problem with a properly functioning democracy. We also want to see America as kind of a establishing the moral high ground and showing that we can have a democratic system that works, that does not rely on monitoring and surveilling our, our own population. Um, and that's why the NSA story is so disturbing, because it's undermining the rule of law in the United States, which makes it very hard to export that to the rest of the world. A big talking point that our surveillance establishment has been using is that they're not collecting data, that they're actually collecting metadata but Chris actually has done some very interesting work on the specific implications of what metadata actually means. The ACLU of California, which is a collaboration between the three California ACLU affiliates, just released a paper called um, Metadata, Piecing Together a Privacy Solution, which is looking at the issue of metadata privacy. So when the NSA story first broke, the first thing President Obama said was, kind of, don't worry, we're not actually listening to the contents of your phone call, it's just this metadata stuff, it's not really important. And a lot of people in the tech world realize that's not true, but the general public doesn't necessarily realize that metadata can reveal incredibly detailed information about your life. It can, you know, analysis shows you can find someone's sexual orientation based on their Facebook friend connection. You can learn, you, know, you can potentially learn about a corporate merger taking place based on a pattern of phone calls between different companies and investors and banks and things like that. So there is mining metadata, analyzing data can reveal intimate details of people's lives. You know, sometimes it's really easy. If you're calling an abortion clinic, People don't need to know what the phone call is about to be suspicious, to have a pretty good guess as to what you're talking about, or an Alcoholics Anonymous group, or any number of things that are civil rights that are we're free to do, but yet just the fact that you talk to a particular person, or you were in a particular location, or you visited a particular website can reveal sensitive information about you. And so this, this report is essentially designed to help people understand what metadata is and why it's actually not that easy to define. What is metadata? What is content? Is there really a line between them? Um, how it has been used and how it can be abused and how there's evidence that the NSA is regularly violating its own rules and stooping into its metadata collection. And what we can do about it. Different legal efforts, different practical efforts to rein in surveillance in the metadata realm. Um, and that available that paper is available at aclunc.org slash tech slash meta. And of course, I'll be putting that link in the show notes. I also wanted to give Chris a opportunity to give us important links for other ACLU-related projects. So I'm going to go ahead and let him go over those things right now. Um, so the ACLU has a lot of different things going on. ACLU.org is the national headquarters, and I work at a Northern California affiliate, which is aclunc.org. 
Um, there's a blog called Free Future, aclu.org slash free future, that talks about a lot of the issues of emerging technology and its relationship to privacy and free speech. So a lot of the issues we work on. Um, there's a there's a campaign called Demand Your Dot Rights, which is a, a national ECLU campaign that we actually started in Northern California, which is working primarily with companies on ways that they can change their dynamic and, and change their understanding of how they interrelate with, with users and why that's actually important, not just for consumer privacy in terms of what companies handle about in, individuals, but also the links between that and government surveillance because of outdated laws, because of now we know NSA snooping on corporate data and why it's important for the company side to, to be representing and standing between users and, the, and government surveillance rather than being a willing party to it. And now we'll be shifting from the very legal-focused ACLU organization to an organization that is more grassroots and more activism-based. It's a group called Fight for the Future. And I'll start with the other participant from the panel for the telling the NSA to back off panel. Hey, I'm Evan Greer. I'm a campaign manager at Fight for the Future. Now, I actually conducted this interview right after he finished his Take Back Your Internet Party panel. So we'll be addressing a few of the topics from both panels. But first, let's get started with the telling the NSA to back off. We were really focusing on what can people do about the NSA. You know, we know there's a ton of panels here at South by Southwest about what's happening. You know, a lot of people have been reading the stories. They're aware, you know, of what's going on and, and the, the extent of the violation um, that's, that has occurred. Um, but there's not enough conversation, I think, about what can we do about it. Um, and there's always this question of what can I do about it? You know, how can I protect myself? I think that's very important and definitely something we should focus on. But I think we at Fight for the Future, generally speaking, like to reframe that question of what can we do about it? And what can we do together? Because um, I think we have a lot more power together than we do as individuals. And this idea of we has a lot of power at Fight for the Future. And it's quite evident. I mean... They really envision an internet that is inclusive to everybody. The internet in general, I think, really balks traditional politics that have really polarized people. I think it, it creates an opportunity where we can recognize that this thing is beneficial no matter what you care about. And I mean, we at Fight for the Future, we have half a million members who literally range from as far across the political spectrum as you can get. I, I get emails, you know, every time we send an email, we get emails back, and I'll get an email that says, thank you for protecting the freedom of the internet so that we can spread the good word of God and, and, and convert the heathens. And then the next moment I'll get an internet, you know, thank you for preserving the freedom of the internet because we have the only gay church in Arkansas and we need to get the word out about it. You know, in the same day from people who got the same email. And, you know, I think that there's, 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 you know, while I have my own beliefs about a whole variety of things, I think there's something absolutely essential and beautiful about the power that the internet has to give people a platform to make change and to speak their mind. But to juxtapose that, the internet is an incredibly powerful platform for expression that needs to be protected. But with all the revelations, it's really easy to reach the conclusion that everything is hopeless. So I asked Evan, how do you go about combating that? I think that's important because there, there is a, I think there's a sense of futility that people have where they're like, well, I could try and protect myself, but, you know, we already know that, you know, they can hack anyone, they're undermining encryption, they're, you know, they probably have people, in, infiltrators at major tech companies who are looking behind the scenes. 
that can lead to a sense of apathy where people just say, well, you know, whatever, you know, there's nothing I could do that would make this better. But the reality is that that's absolutely not true. You know, simple things like running a VPN, using Tor, even just putting a password on your phone, I mean, that makes surveillance more difficult. And the NSA is not the only player here. Local police departments are kind of emulating them. They're looking to do the same types of things. They're looking at people's text messages. They're using loopholes in laws like ECPA to get our emails. Um, and, you know, very simple things that maybe wouldn't stop the NSA, but they'll do a lot to stop, you know, your local cops that are breathing down your neck. And, it, you know, and for most people, I think that that's actually the more immediate danger. Um, you know, and, and we need to recognize that this isn't just about the NSA. While that's been a, a major part in the media, it's a sexy story, um, this surveillance has been going on for a long time, and it's important that we put the whole picture together and look at what we can do collectively to change our culture and, and change how we think about privacy um, in, in the long term. And this is a big piece of the puzzle. As soon as a technique for surveillance or for breaking encryption exists, other law enforcement groups are going to want to have access to these tools. We've already had this in a broader discussion um, as a society. We've talked about the militarization of local law enforcement. Well, local law enforcement has also added tools to use the same surveillance techniques that the NSA and the FBI have had for a very long time. We've seen this with um, emulating cell phone towers and all sorts of interesting surveillance tools that, you know, 10 years ago would have only have been on the budgets of a federal government, but are now in the hands of local law enforcement. And these local law enforcement agencies may not have the same level of training and ethics or the same level of leadership to make sure that people aren't abusing these tools. And this is something that we have to think about. This is something that we have to take very seriously. When that platform is, is being taken away or corrupted or twisted or abused, uh, it unites people. It brings people together who you know, might otherwise never sit in the same room or certainly sit on the same panel. And you know, it is astounding the, the degree to which we all agree. And bringing up the panel brings up a really cool part of this. I'm talking about the Take Back Your Internet Party hosted by Golden Frog. This is actually where I'm going to start introducing other people, um, and we may be hopping back and forth between interview sections. But before we get to that, I'm going to show you a little snippet from the actual panel discussion. First, this is going to start with Evan, and then this is going to move to Ron Yucobitis. I hope I'm not butchering that name, and I apologize to Golden Frog if I have. Ron is the co-founder of Golden Frog and a slew of other amazing Texas companies that are privacy focused and liberty focused. And without any further ado, here's that little section of the session debate. One thing I think is that when we talk about privacy, obviously there's an immediate attraction to the Fourth Amendment, right? It's very clearly directly related. Uh, search and seizure, you know, has very clear roots in the origins of our country being upset about oppressive British surveillance. Um, it's something that people can relate to. But I think it's also really important that we talk about the First Amendment, right? Privacy is not about whether you have something to hide. It's about your right and your ability to be yourself and express yourself without the fear that someone's looking over your shoulder and that you might be punished by the government for, your, for being yourself, whatever that may be. And so I think, you know, there's definitely been court cases and, you know, I'm sure Kevin could speak more to this and, you know, EFF has worked on it, ACLU has worked on it. Um, but absolutely, this type of surveillance is chilling our ability to freely express ourselves, 
to, it's chilling free speech, it's chilling journalism. And so absolutely, we should definitely be tackling this from a First Amendment perspective as well as a Fourth Amendment perspective. I, I totally agree. Uh, it's a First Amendment issue, Fourth Amendment issue, Fifth Amendment, they're stealing your property. Yep. But, you know, you're going to have to distinguish between when the government does it and when a private business does it. Because we don't have, we have our constitutional rights, First, Fourth, and Fifth, against government violations of our civil rights, not private corporations. So the remedies against an AT&T are different than the remedies against the government. So we... We just can keep, you know, when you give it up by giving them permission, you know, you've waived it. And that's what's going to be the first thing up. Whereas you didn't give it up, that permission to the government. You're not giving that consent. So we're going to have to have, I like the idea that having to send the letters on the civilian surveillance. I really like that. I think that's going to have a chilling effect on them. And I really hope that this is starting to paint the picture of what a broad range of opinions were sitting on this panel. I mean, we have a we have a very libertarian leaning entrepreneur who has some very strong opinions about how to run business and how the the, the role of government. And then we have this very internet activists, you know, focused, people focused grassroots group in Fight for the Future. And then we even have Republican representatives from the state of Texas who are all sort of riffing off of the same idea. And I'll go ahead and let uh, Representative Brian Hughes speak for himself. I've really been encouraged. Uh, we know that activism is always a good thing. We believe in free speech, not just in principle. It has practical benefits because when citizens participate, the process gets better. We get it right. We figure out where we're wrong or we can do better. And in this area in particular, I've been so encouraged because we're able to reshuffle the deck. We have the ACLU and the Conservative Coalition on the same side. In fact, uh, the Criminal Jurisprudence Committee in the Texas House, currently, uh, there's a neat confluence of, uh, I'm going to say, liberty-minded Republicans and liberal Democrats, uh, among others, who coalesce around questions of privacy and questions of limiting the government's power. Uh, you know, historically, conservatives have had sort of a blind spot. You know, we want to limit the government power at every turn, shackle the government, but uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to uh, the war on terror or crime, well then we want to give the government a blank check, which of course is dangerous and terribly inconsistent. And so that's changing. So we're encouraged to see more, uh, more conservatives and more Republicans looking at these issues. So that's been the best thing for me, reshuffling the deck and seeing folks that uh, may not agree on everything, but this is stuff we can all come together on because it's just right. And I thought this was so interesting. I mean, these perspectives, they're all over the map. And I'm sure that there is a mile-long list of details that people in this group wouldn't agree on, you know, whether it's what economic policy should be or the role of government uh, when it comes to entitlements programs. But that's not what brought these people together. What brought these people together were concerns about the First, Fourth, and Fifth Amendment rights. And it's, it's absolutely intriguing. It's interesting to see all these different people coming together and in actually pushing forward some really powerful ideas. So after the debate, I ran back around to the co-founder and co-CEO of Golden Frog, um, Ron Yucobitis, and asked him how he felt 
the turnout was and uh, what did he feel about the results of the panel discussion? Well, I just uh, so admired the people that came. These are heroes to me. You know, the fight for the future folks, Kevin Bankston, Representative Hughes represents several people in the Texas legislature that are fighting for to keep, keep our liberty and expand it. And uh, Stacy Higginbotham to look, you read all she's written over the years, and I just, I've learned so much through Stacy, you know. So I didn't know Allie yet, but uh, her guys over there in the, at uh, CCIA, we just donate money to them because they're our voice, too. And they got all that, so that's what you do. You, we can, we do our own individual work. I call it hacking for liberty, you know. But we got to support people that are doing the same thing in different venues, so it's easier to send them money. That's what they need, and then just know that they'll do it. And we might even disagree on issues, but by and large, you know, they're they're hacking for their view of liberty, and we all meet, you know. But they're Americans, arousing Americans. You know, fight for the future. We call them the pitchforks and the shovels, you know. They get all the peasants mad, you know. And before we get back to the pitchforks and the shovels at Fight for the Future, I want to get the perspective of Ali Sternberg. And so I went and asked her what she thought about the outcome of the panel. Yeah, so I'd, um, I'd, I know that some other people from the panel have spoken about their particular issues. And so I just wanted to give kind of a broad overview, which is that... Um, as I, I gave a shout out to the audience during during the panel because I was just amazed to see so many people there really engaged and asking questions and looking and paying attention and not being on their phones, which is nothing wrong with being on your phones. You might be tweeting or taking notes, but it was just really great to see a lot of engaged people caring about uh, privacy issues. And it was true. I mean, this place was packed. It was a Sixth Street bar, and I'm serious. There were certain parts of the debate where you could probably have dropped a pin, and. The audience was completely engaged, even though we were um, all enjoying ourselves and drinking beers and everything else. Um, But it was a really engaging panel. Before we move back to Fight for the Future, I do want to give Allie an opportunity to introduce herself and talk about the perspective of the organization that she works with as well. My name is Allie Sternberg, and I'm a policy counsel at the Computer and Communications Industry Association, CCIA. It's a... uh, more than 40-year-old trade association of internet tech and telecom companies represent about 20, 25 uh, member companies. And our mission has always been open competition, open innovation, open systems. It was founded to fight incumbents back in the 70s. Um, It was IBM and Microsoft and and a couple of just the the broad monopolies that were, it it was always, we were always on the side of the smaller companies, the the newer startups, the ones who didn't always have the government and the regulators on their side. So that's definitely been an important theme to us for decades. And, um, more recently, we started a, a side project called the Disruptive Competition Project. Um, it's a blog. You can check it out at project-disco.org. Disco is short for Disruptive Competition. And um, it's another place where we get to highlight stories about competition and, and the importance of, of startups. So we talk about, I mean, we've covered Uber for, uh, against cars and, um, I'm sorry, taxi and government regulators in a bunch of different cities. We've done stuff on food trucks and fighting restaurants and brick-and-mortar businesses. We also do a lot on copyright and, and, uh, and other intellectual property issues, which is what I spend most of my time on. I, I'm a, I spend a lot of time on copyright and lately patent, too, because that's what Congress has been 
focused on trying to fight the patent trolls and kind of figure out how to make the system better from innovation rather than litigation that's costly because we don't want to have our companies spending money on lawyers and want them spending money on R&D and engineers and new jobs. So what a cool panel. Internet activists, free market advocates, entrepreneurs, representatives from the government. I mean, it was actually, it was very, very inspiring and it was really, really wonderful to see. So now we're going to be transitioning back to fight for the future. And I'm fortunate enough to have been able to interview one of the co-founders of the organization. My name is Holmes Wilson. I'm a co-founder of Fight for the Future. We work to give internet users the power to defend the internet. The thing we're best known for is organizing American Censorship Day, which was the first protest against SOPA uh, that ended up snowballing into, into the blackout that ended up stopping the bill. Uh, and. And I think, uh, you know, lately, since the Snowden leaks, we've, we've been working like crazy on, on NSA stuff. There have been a few other issues that have come up this year and a few other projects we've worked on, but uh, that's been our focus because now's the time. And the way that that project helped stop that bill was absolutely amazing. I mean, it was completely grassroots from an organization that had been um, able to inspire thousands and thousands and thousands of people and some of the most powerful uh, companies online to protest this terrible legislation that was trying to go through Congress. And they stopped the bill. As we continued the interview, I started to get a really good perspective on Holmes' view on the role of government and the role of internet activists online. Government isn't like a company or something. Like that. The government exists to reflect our will. The, the reason why we have governments is, is to come together as a people and decide what we need to create a great place to live and, and execute that. But if government can go and, and if certain agencies in government or certain uh, parts of, of an administration can go and undermine those processes by spying on them to screw up the, 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 checks and the system of checks and balances we have, that just like, I mean, it's a snake eating its tail. Now you have, instead of people's will bubbling up and informing government, you have government just acting to preserve its own power. And he goes on to speculate what could happen when there's information asymmetry from governments who have almost unlimited access to private data. It, it could be happening invisibly. Like, the worst case scenario is, is there's, there's, a, there's a popular candidate that wants to do something about changing this, and, and they spy on him or her. They find some secrets. They, they leak those secrets right, you know, in the last weeks of the election. They throw the election to the other candidate. We would never even know that it happened. You know, all we would know that there was an would be that there was an embarrassing revelation. And uh, and and you know, even I mean, if Edward Snowden at the NSA can can walk off with the amount of documents he did, you could even have rogue participants in these organizations acting acting uh, acting solo and and inflicting incredible harm on democracy based on whatever agenda. And to extend it even further, it has implications for the commercial and private uses of the internet as well. It's a it's kind of a weaponization of, of, of the internet. I mean they're they're taking this communication infrastructure that we've all built that and this is the kind of from the point of view of someone who's worked in worked in tech and worked on tech projects, you know, and I know a lot of a lot of your audience is, is coming from that position. I mean think about it. We've all worked together on spent put years of our lives into building products that people love. You try to get as many users as you can, you know, Maybe you're building, maybe you're building an app. Maybe you're building a cloud service. But chances are, you're touching people's data in some way, or at the very least, you know, they might be running your code on their on their on their system. So, how does it feel now that that all that work we've put in to making 
these tools that really do make the world a better place is now getting instrumentalized by one government or a couple governments. Um, and, you know, and they're just going down a checklist, seeing how, what are the ways we can take this and turn it into a weapon so that we can get power over the rest of the world. That's not what we're, we built this stuff for. Like, that's not, you know, and if you ask, if you ask, uh, you know, that's not why I, why I made software. That's not why somebody was working at Google is making software. They're making stuff because people, they make, want to make stuff that people want to use, and it's all getting warped and twisted. I mean, it's comparable with, with the, the nuclear arms race. Like, they've started going down this road. China's gone down this road. England's gone down this road. Now any other major country is going to start investing in surveillance and, and hacking. And we're going to end up with the internet that's just an internet that's almost a, a militarized space. So this begs the question, well, what can we do as denizens of the internet? I think where we have the most power right now is, uh, is with encryption. And, and I don't just mean like, you know, dusting off our, our book about how to use PGP or whatever, but I mean... I mean, making tools that make that stuff really easy to use and just baking that in at every level um, into existing services, into new products, because the Snowden leaks are pretty consistent. The NSA can hack people, but they can't do bulk spying on encrypted traffic when it's done using state-of-the-art methods. Um, and, and if, you know, in a lot of ways, that bulk spying is, is, what's, is what's much more socially harmful than that targeted spying. And so to loop this back, there are things that we can do right now without having to wait on legislation, policy changes, or anything else. We can actually get involved and make a change together. And so now we're going to loop all the way back to Evan Greer in a really cool project that Fight for the Future has announced. So on June 5th, which is the anniversary of the first Snowden-based NSA story that hit the media, Fight for the Future is going to be working with a huge range of groups, websites, and people from across the political spectrum to organize something we're calling Reset the Net. And we mean that quite literally. We plan to take some of the sections of the internet that have been invaded by government surveillance, turn them off, turn them back on with the new armor and new technology that makes dragnet mass surveillance too expensive and too difficult to accomplish. And so what we're looking for is a collective moment where we're not asking the government to change what they're doing. We're actually unveiling and collectively starting to use technology that makes the surveillance impossible. So it's really throwing the wrench in the gears and it's taking direct action and meeting this type of surveillance head on. So what's going to happen on this day on June 5th is Companies are going to unveil new technology that they'll be using to protect their customers, and internet users are going to make a promise to start using just one thing that makes that surveillance more difficult. And I think that that's something that's really important that came out in these Snowden documents, is that the NSA is not invincible. In a lot of ways, they're actually more opportunist than anything else. And these are mistakes that can be fixed. Um, and if we fix those mistakes, we can make the types of things that they're doing that, that have such a chilling effect on our rights, we can make them actually impossible. So do it. Go to resetthenet.org, sign up, and promise to make some change in the way that you behave online that makes it a little bit safer for everybody. Because if we all participate in this, if we make it unreasonable to do dragnet surveillance, then we speak up, we use our voice, and we tell the surveillance state to back off. And it's a really, really cool project. I highly recommend you go check it out. Once again, that's Reset the Net, and that's resetthenet.org. Well, this pretty much does it for this episode of Embracing Disruption. 
Um, I think that we covered a lot of topics and talked to a lot of interesting people. Um, we've got some really cool coverage coming up in the future. And uh, before I left you, I wanted to give a shout out to Texas Linux Fest. Texas Linux Fest is less than two weeks away, and I'm lucky enough to be speaking at it this year. That's a community-run Linux festival that's in Austin, Texas, my hometown. Um, and as always, keep on striving to do great things. Thank you.